Amen. It is a blessing to come and stand before God and to worship Him, to share that indeed He is worthy. He is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of the best works that we have. As we come this morning, we are going to be taking up the topic, foolish arguments and factious people. And as we come this morning, it has been amazing to me to watch what has unfurled and played out upon our national media over the past couple weeks. Indeed, many of you may have been amazed as well at the media and many within our culture who have tried to take the comments of the president and COO Dan Cathy of Chick-fil-A and turn them into some kind of made up and trumped up vitriolic campaign. As we come today, we understand that there are many who contrive and conceive to create controversy over the words of this man, probably mostly because he is taking a stand for Jesus Christ in the midst of a world that dislikes Jesus. But as we come today, we come and are amazed by the fervor and the hatred that is expressed by those who are said to be peace-loving, who are said to have nothing more, want nothing more than just openness and tolerance to all things. Isn't it amazing that those who preach tolerance are tolerant of everything except for the exclusive claims of Christianity and of Jesus Christ himself? Isn't it amazing that we live within a culture where there is great angst and anxiety about a man who would stand up and claim to be God and claim to be the way, the truth, and the life that no one would come to the Father but through him? Isn't it amazing that we see within our culture not only an anger against that man, but against those who would follow him and pursue that path and make that message known as well. Indeed, those who claim to be wanting nothing more than claim to be not wanting anyone to be excluded from the cultural conversation are now saying that a private citizen owning a private company should not be allowed to use his resources to promote those values to which he holds dearly. Even within the Christian community, I've been saddened through these last couple of weeks as some within churches have written open letters to Dan Cathy, excoriating him and taking him to the proverbial woodshed over his supposed hatred and intolerance of homosexuality. Isn't it amazing that simply making a statement as an evangelical Christian owner of a private company that gives to organizations that would promote and further the work of the biblical definition of marriage could bring such a firestorm not only from outside of the church but from within the church as well yet this should not surprise us people indeed in light of the supreme virtue of our culture which seems to be tolerance it is no great surprise that these attacks would be waged against those who believe the message of the bible and stand principally upon it as the total revelation of spiritual truth for those who stand firmly and boldly for what the bible teaches what is shocking though is the report that came out from christian worldview network in 2007 which related these facts that indeed 64 percent of adults and 91 percent of evangelical Christians do not believe in absolute truth in the moral realm. 64 percent of our adults. 
91% of our youth, even within the evangelical church in America, do not believe in absolute moral truth as revealed within the Word of God. And we see that there is a problem. And we need to understand that apparently the unbiblical attitudes of this world aren't just merely creeping into the church, they're flooding into the church. And they're about to sink the ship. Because if we do not pass along the Bible as a standard of truth, in spite of what we think and what we feel, we will see the church in the next generation abdicate the values that we have held so dear. The Bible affirms from cover to cover that God exists objectively apart outside of our ideas about Him and apart from our subjective experience of Him. He spoke the universe into existence and He didn't need you and I there to approve or disapprove of what He did. He has revealed Himself in the written words of Scripture and supremely in the person and work of Jesus Christ who is God in human flesh. God is true whether you believe in Him or not. Whether you like Him or don't like Him, that matters not to God, for God is. We live within a culture that likes to put God in their box. To make Him like what they want Him to be like. And yet, you can make up a God who is all love, who never judges anyone, but such a God is not the God who is revealed within the Bible. You can make up a God who lets everyone into His heaven, whether they obey Him or not, whether they have a relationship with Jesus Christ or not, whether they worship Him in spirit and truth or not, but that doesn't mean that the God of the Bible is influenced by your take on the world. Sad a few years ago when James Brown's manager stood to the mic at his funeral and said that James Brown had made peace with his God. What bold, bold ignorance to stand and to say he had made up a God and worship God and he had made peace with his God. Therefore, everything is okay. The Bible says that there is only one name by which man may be saved and that is the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Listen, broad is the way to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to the eternal kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter who or what you you think it matters what God says and we believe that the Bible is God's revealed truth Jesus is God's revealed son who redeems men and women from their sins and yet we live in an imperfect world we live among imperfect people we are imperfect people and so there's going to be arguments there's going to be contentions that come up there are going to be difficult moments and the question is not so much will we experience living with foolish arguments and factious people but the question is what should we do among foolish argu- when we are among foolish arguments and factious people well I'm glad you asked Because that's exactly what Titus chapter 3 verses 9 through 11 addresses this morning. And let's take our Bibles and turn there to Titus chapter 3 verses 9 through 11. And let us see the answer of what Paul says we should do when foolish arguments and factious people arise among us. Let's stand now for the reading of this God's holy and inerrant word. 
Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, it says this. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable. And worthless. Father, we come to you today asking that you would cause us to avoid these things. And Father, cause us to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for all good and gracious things that you have done in our life. Lord, lead us even now, Father, as we study your word, Father, to be people who would avoid foolish arguments, that would admonish those who are factious people. And Father, that we would be people who live for the furtherance of your kingdom and the glory of your great name in the midst of this world. Lord, we ask that you would knit us together in unity under the lordship of Jesus Christ and bring us together to to further your gospel even to the ends of the earth. We pray now that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see in this passage that the church is to avoid foolish arguments and admonish those who would be factious people so that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not diminished in the midst of our context, in the midst of our culture, in the midst of our country. We need to be making sure moment by moment, day by day, we are walking after the Lord and we are not engaging in foolish arguments, that we are not being factious people, that we are not diminishing the gospel of Jesus Christ so that in no way would the work that we say that we are about be destroyed in the midst of this world. Indeed, last week we saw in verse 8 that we are to constantly be speaking trustworthy words. We are to be confidently putting them before the culture. We are to constantly walk out those trustworthy works that show the gospel of grace in the midst of our lives. But today Paul turns the table and he says, listen, you must not only be doing these things, but you must be avoiding these other things. You must not succumb to the temptation of the culture to pull you in and pull you down, to, to cause you, to the, the culture that tempts you to give up your values and the values that are reflected in God's Word. Listen, don't defect from the truth. You stand firm in it. Don't waver in your teaching. Live lives that testify of the goodness and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the church is to avoid foolish arguments. They are to admonish factious people so that the gospel of Jesus Christ would in no way be diminished within our culture. Now, first this morning, let's look there in verse 9 and let's see that the church is to avoid foolish arguments. The church is to avoid foolish arguments. In verse 8, Paul has spoken the, of the things that should be embraced by Christians because they are good and profitable for all men. Those are trustworthy words and trustworthy works that show forth constantly to this culture the, the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now he comes back and he says, just listen, these are the things that are to be avoided. First of all, there evidently was a large, there was quite a contingent of false teachers on the island of Crete. These men were giving themselves to all kinds of things. They were claiming to represent the Lord. They were claiming to serve the Lord. They were claiming to love the Lord and to teach His Word. But actually, they were giving themselves to all sorts of evil. 
And this is exactly why Titus has been left in Crete. Paul says in verse 5 of chapter 1, I left you there to set everything in order and to appoint elders in every city. And those elders are to be men of God who would, in verse 9, not only be able to exhort in sound doctrine, but also to refute those who contradict. Verse 10 of chapter 1, it says, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. These men must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Paul says, listen, church, you must be on guard uh, to avoid foolish arguments and and false teachers. Leaders of the church, you must be on guard to avoid foolish arguments and factious people and false teachers. In, In Paul and Titus' day, the arguments were over history and heritage and handiwork. Well, who who was the highest place? Well, the one who had the most notable lineage from the Old Testament. There were many theological rabbit trails that were being chased in their day, but few, if any, had any profit for the church or the work of the Great Commission. And so Paul says, listen, don't chase these theological rabbit trails. You focus on what? On the gospel. Avoid these things. When he says avoid, it means to stand off from, to be aloof, to keep oneself away from. In fact, we might aptly translate that word shun, to turn our back and to walk away. It is right to avoid these foolish arguments that don't further the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's not saying that we shouldn't discuss or defend the truth. We should discuss. We should defend the truth. But listen, if it's not for the purpose of evangelism, if it's not for the purpose of edification or the building up of the body, then it is to be left behind. The word foolish comes from the word that we get moron from. Isn't that fitting? Hey, leave behind those moronic discussions that you guys are having at thir- you know, you know, three o'clock in the morning sitting around a table and you're still talking about the same thing that you were talking about eight hours ago. Leave behind those discussions. Paul's closing words in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 21, 20 and 21 to Timothy at the church at Ephesus was Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Guard the gospel. Guard the message of redemption. Guard the message by which sinners become saints. You hold fast to it. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 and 23, Paul states it even more firmly in even more colorful language when he says, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Have you ever known anybody that just liked to argue? For All of us know people like that, don't you? They don't care really whether they're right or wrong. In fact, sometimes they'll take the wrong side just for the sake of argument. Is that a good or helpful thing to do or to happen within the family? No. 
Is it a good or helpful thing to do within the workplace and within your friends? No. Is it a good and helpful thing for those within the church of Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. See, in Paul's days, there were many debates about genealogies of angels. And so they were trying to trace out all the details of the, of the angels and trying to show who was where and what. And you're going, hey, where in the world in the Bible is that? Exactly. It's nowhere. Why in the world would you waste time debating it? These, these men were mere talkers. They were empty talkers there in chapter 1, verse 10 of Titus. And in fact, John MacArthur calls these men fluent know-nothings. You ever met somebody that was a fluent know-nothing? That knew absolutely nothing about anything of importance, but acted like they knew everything? This guy knew exactly, these guys knew how to present themselves. In fact, these were men who were tied up in endless genealogies, as it says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. These men could just go on and on and on. Well, that's not in our churches today. That's not existent within America. Listen, we must be careful about this type of emphasis even today, for there are many bestsellers that hit the shelves of Christian bookstores claiming that they have special codes and hidden meanings that will give you the true understanding of the Bible, that will reveal to you special knowledge so that you can be the most informed within your group. It's easy to go into numerology and all of these things because they promise special knowledge, secret knowledge, hidden knowledge. But listen, you must reject it outright. Because, listen, what the Bible plainly says is to the, be the, main, main, the plain things of the Bible are to the, be the main things of our teaching. And the main things of our teaching are to be the plain things of the Bible. Don't get caught up in all this stuff. Other false teachers overemphasize aspects of the Old Testament law, arguing that certain things are clean and unclean, that you must do this, this or that in order to be acceptable to God. There are groups out there that argue about the days of worship. The Seventh-day Adventists say that your worship is an abomination to God if you don't worship on the Sabbath on Saturday. But listen, the one, uh, one qualification for those who would be accepted before God is that they must worship Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. Even the early church worshipped on Sunday, the first day of the week, because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead on that day. If you start saying, well, you must believe the gospel and this. You must believe the gospel and do this. You must believe the gospel and keep this law. You are turning the Christianity into something that it is not. It is not a message or religion of works. It is a message of Jesus Christ and His gospel that sets us free from the power and penalty of sin, death, and hell. The modern church falls prey to that same mentality. We argue over all sorts and divide over all sorts of opinions. I think it'd be helpful for, for me to remind you that a lot of people have said opinions are like belly buttons. Everybody has them. Nobody wants to see yours. There are a lot of opinions out there. There are a lot of things that divide us. Political views. 
parenting and education styles, worship styles, secondary theological issues, and a vast assortment of opinions and personal preferences that we elevate to spiritual law. Where this occurs, the result will always be the same as in the first century. There will be a church that is distracted from carrying out the Great Commission, a church that is distracted from sharing the gospel with our family, with our friends, with our foes, a church that is distracted from going out and making disciples to the end of the earth, a church that is diminishing the gospel of Jesus Christ because we are not on the same page with God. God says you ought to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You ought to love others even as yourself. You go and live it out. Avoid these foolish arguments. We ought to be a church that attracts the unbeliever to something new and good, a community of faith living in the grace of God and, and reveling in His great his, his goodness in the midst of our lives. But many times the church repels those that are outside of, the, outside of it because of its moronic bickering over insignificant issues. Church, we are to avoid foolish arguments. But not only are we to avoid foolish arguments, but we are also to admonish factious people. And see, what Paul is saying in this passage is that the church must deal decisively with divisive people. That's what he's saying. Look there at verses 10 and 11. Reject a factious man after a first and a second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning because being self-condemned. See, Paul is saying, hey, listen, there are going to be a divisive people that come up among you. There are going to be people who want to make much of themselves. And these words are necessary because we are imperfect people living in the midst of an imperfect world. So fallen people living in a fallen world are always going to have big problems. But understand the fellowship that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ through the work of Jesus Christ is so sweet. It is not to be allowed to fracture under under any circumstances circumstances or for any reason jesus tells his disciples in the gospel of john he says listen they will know you how they will know you by your love for one another let me ask you do you have love for one another are you showing that love constantly first four chapters of first corinthians are all about unity within the church 1 corinthians chapter 1 verses 10 through 13 says this i appeal to you brothers In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. How many divisions were there supposed to be? Let me ask that one more time. How many divisions should there be within the church? None. That we ought to be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What is What I mean is this. One of you say, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. And another says, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? The answer is resolutely no. Christ is not divided. Christ is one. And so what kind of car did the apostles drive? An accord. 
A Honda, of course, because they were all in one accord. Let me ask you today, are you in one accord? Are you in one accord with your friends, with your family, with your brothers and sisters in the midst of this church? Are you in one accord with your Sunday school teacher? Are you in one accord with your deacons and with your your staff? Are you in one accord with those who are around you who have given themselves resolutely to Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ fractured? Absolutely not. And so neither are we to be. Titus 3.10 says the divisive person ought to be dealt with in this way. He ought to be given one warning, a second warning. And if he doesn't repent and he isn't restored to the body, then he ought to be removed. He ought to be abandoned by those around him. Perhaps you've had a rebellious relative who has served to fracture your family, a work co-worker that is driving a wedge in the midst of your fellow employees, a needling neighbor who is putting everybody on your street at odds with one another. Have you ever known anybody like that? Have you ever seen that happen? Indeed, it is something that is frustrating in the midst of our relationships. But listen, in the midst of the church, it is a reproach. Because when we're dividing over these issues, when we're choosing up and choosing sides, listen, we are diminishing the gospel and its testimony in our church, in our community, in our city, and in our world. Because they're going to look and say, you know what? They argue over silly, insignificant things. They can't even love each other enough to see that they say Jesus Christ died for all. And if He's united them as brothers and sisters in Christ, then they ought to be able to get along. The word here, divisive, means to choose for oneself. This individual is determined to do whatever he or she wants to do in spite of what cost there may be to the gospel or to the church. John MacArthur indicates that it has the idea of someone who makes a resolute decision to be obstinate and cause dissension at any cost, even a great cost to the church, even a great cost to our God. This is a self-willed person who thinks he or she is right and who goes from person to person in their church seeking to win them over. Hey, you know what? You need to be on my side or his side. You need to be on my side or her side. You need to stand with me or with the Sunday school teacher. You need to stand with me or with that deacon. You need to stand with me or with the pastors. And this is a work of the flesh. Galatians 5.20 warns us that indeed there are many works of the flesh, but among them are these enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, and factions. We must guard against these things, brothers and sisters. For such a person should be admonished twice and then abandoned to themselves. Paul's following the model of Jesus in Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17. But he says, listen, you ought to shorten it by one step. You give them one chance. And if they hopefully repent and are restored, then you rejoice. And if you give them a second chance and they repent and restored, then you rejoice. But if they don't repent and they are not restored, then listen, you reject them outright. Remove them from your fellowship. That's hard. Because we have... A society that says, well, let's just ignore it. Let's move on. It's a whole lot easier for me to just move move on than to actually deal with the issues and problems that come up. But this phrase, have nothing to do with them, is literally to push off from, to move away from. 
And it's similar to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 14-15. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Why should you take special note of him? Do not associate with him in order that he may feel the shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but as a brother. Listen, we have a world that says, I love them too much to confront them about sin. I love them so much that I'm just going to ignore what they are doing and how they are living apart from God and apart from His Word. And the Word of God says, listen, you shouldn't ignore it. You should love them like a brother. And if you truly love them, you'll be willing to take on the sin that you see in their life. Romans sixteen seventeen says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. This seems pretty strong, but Paul says that the divisive person is perverted. He is warped. He is turned inside out upon himself. And actually, he is driven by his sinful desires and he is self-condemned. Story is told of Roger Staubach, a great, uh, a great quarterback within the National Football League. In 1971, Roger Staubach not only led his team to the, the Dallas Cowboys to win the NFL championship, to win, win the NFL championship that year, but he also was voted to be the Super Bowl MVP. And yet, Roger Staubach had some problems. He had some serious problems with his coach. By the way, you may be interested to know that his coach was the Hall of Famer coach Tom Landry. See, Roger Staubach greatly respected Tom Landry as a genius when it came to football strategy. He understood that this man had more knowledge in his little pinky than most people had in their mind. And Roger Staubach said he, uh, he oftentimes got upset and got disgruntled because, you know what, his coach called every play in from the sideline. He told him when to pass and when to run. And Roger Staubach pushed back and he got angry because he, after all, was a premier quarterback in the league at that time. And he thought, well, aren't I good enough to call my own plays? When he was asked how he resolved the tension, Roger Staubach just simply said these words. I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, I found that there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. For each one of us, that is true when we come face to face with God. When we come and obey Him and what He says in His Word, when we live according to His Word and not according to our desires, when we obey God and let go of ourselves, we will experience harmony and fulfillment and victory. See, God's heart is for harmony and victory, fulfillment and victory, for peace to exist within the local church so that the gospel might not be diminished and it might go forward. And so we are to admonish divisive people with a first warning, with a second warning, and then with a dismissal. Not so that we can just punish them, but so that they might see their sin, see God's Savior, and surrender themselves to the gospel. And that's what we need to see today. Not only do we need to avoid foolish, foolish arguments, not only are we to admonish factious people, but finally we are to appropriate, appropriate the gospel as we live in harmony with one another. We are to appropriate the gospel. 
See, we ought to find ourselves so occupied with doing the good works and speaking the good words of the gospel, so profitable in the business, in the work of furthering the gospel, to take any interest in, uh, so that we would not take any interest in unworthy, contentious, or needless strivings. Indeed, we ought to see ourselves as partners with Christ and partners with one another on a great mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus Christ came to this world as our Creator, as our Lord and Master. Indeed, He came as a sovereign Savior. See, He did not think it much to take, too much to take on flesh. He did not think it too much to live a perfect life according to God's law and God's commands. He didn't think it too much to take our place and die as a common criminal there on the cross of Calvary, suffering your penalty and my penalty so that we might be made sons and daughters of the Most High. In fact, His life in us now gives us the capacity to leave behind our selfish desires and to live for Him and Him alone. And so Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-11 through 11 says, Have this attitude in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant being made in the likeness of men God of the universe creator of all things comes and takes on human flesh to walk among us in the midst of a fallen world in the midst of people with real problems and real issues he comes to live a perfect life and being found in the appearance as a man he humbled himself he humbled himself even by being crucified crucified on a cross can you imagine that your creator tasting death so that you might be given eternal life what a great god we have A God that though we were separated, though we were factious people going after our own desires, chose to love us and redeem us so that we might be one with Him. For this reason, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Listen, if we want to be a people who live in peace and harmony. Peace and harmony start with a real relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll never know peace and harmony until you realize you've got a problem with God and that you can be reconciled to Him through the work, person and work of Jesus Christ. You must surrender to the gospel to be at peace with God. But secondly, we are to live in humility with one another and love with like Christ did. That's why it said there in chapter 2, verse 5 of Philippians, have the same mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We need to be humble people. We need to be loving people. We need to be people who are encouraging one another, exhorting one another to love and to good deeds. We need to seek to be at peace with all people. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says, as far as it concerns you, you ought to seek to be at peace with all people. How many people should you seek to be at peace with? How many? So there's never a reason to say, well, I'll love everybody except for him. I love everybody except for her. We must seek to be at peace with all people. 
And when issues come out, and they will come out because we live in the midst of a world filled with foolish arguments and factious people, we are imperfect people in the midst of an imperfect world. When these issues come out, we must deal with it. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, Jesus says, Hey, when you're offering your sacrifice at the altar and you remember that your brother has a problem with you, not that you have a problem with your brother, your brother has a problem with you, then you are to go and reconcile And then come again to offer your offering, your sacrifice. We must be bridge builders. We must be those who exercise the gospel, not just in our own lives and talk about the impact it has in us, but we also ought to live it out. Indeed, when issues come out, we must deal with them decisively. Otherwise, we will be divided. And finally, brothers and sisters, we are to avoid foolish arguments. We're to avoid factious people. We are to indeed admonish those people and then abandon them or reject them to their own self-interest. Why? Because this deters their work from diminishing the gospel. Because ultimately, whether they realize it or not, when we begin to divide over stupid and silly issues, when we begin to pull apart over things that are not central to the gospel, listen, ultimately, we are dividing Christ's church and we are diminishing the gospel work within this community and around the world. Let me read to you a passage in Ephesians chapter 4. And this ought to be our goal. This ought to be our goal for each and every one of us. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This morning there is only one who is worthy of your worship. And there is only one who can make you right with himself and with one another. And that one is Jesus Christ. And I plead with you to surrender your life. To give everything to Him so that as He unites you with Him, He can then unite you with your brothers and sisters. Not only here at Adamsville Baptist Church, not only here in Goldsboro, North Carolina, but even your brothers and sisters to the ends of the earth. As we come today, I want to challenge you. Be so focused on worshiping Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth that you're not distracted by foolish arguments or factious people, but that you are fully devoted to seeing the gospel transform your life and shape you and form you into the image of Christ and then taking that message to everybody you come into contact with. Father, as we close today, you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise. And Lord, we come to You in this moment asking that You would lead us and guide us so that we might stand before You, Father, a holy and perfect and pure people who are peaceable with You and with one another. Let our fellowship not be dissuaded by foolish arguments and factious people, but let our fellowship be devoted to the furtherance of the Gospel in the midst of each of our lives. Lord, lead us and guide us in this time of decision now. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Let's stand together and sing together our hymn of invitation. If you have a decision today, whether to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ or whether to... to...